Okay, so we've been talking about the promise over the last now 10 weeks. Uh, it will be 10 weeks this morning. And uh, last week I started uh, a specific message from the book of Joshua that I said that I would wrap up uh, this week, uh, talking about some of the promises that God made uh, to Joshua. I, I just feel led just to have a word of prayer once again. So, Father, I pray a special blessing, Lord God, not only upon uh, the mothers, but especially the mothers today, but, but the, the grandmothers as well, and, and maybe even any, any great-grandmas that we have here this morning. And, 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 and more than that and above that, I just pray for the whole family of God, the body of Christ this morning uh, here at the Living Word, that you would indeed impart to us, Lord God, uh, the treasures that are, that are found in the Word of God as you have provided them this morning in the understanding of Scripture. Open up our, our eyes, open up our hearts to receive the Word of God this morning. Amen. When we talk about Joshua, we're talking about the successor of Moses, the man who was supposed to lead the children of Israel into the actual promised land. And uh, there were promises. Let me just remind you some of the promises that we looked at in chapter 1 last week that God made to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You will go in to possess the land that I promised to your fathers. Only be strong and of good courage and be careful to observe all that I've commanded you. Those great and precious promises that God spoke to Joshua uh, are to be treasured, but also the warnings that God also gave to us in the Word of God, they're also to be treasured and they're to be revered and to be, and to be listened to. I'll tell you what, Joshua at this particular point was about 85 years of age or 85 years young uh, when he was to enter into the land and possess the land. Uh, we were talking last week, some of the brothers, after the message, and we were talking in the, in the kitchen about Caleb and how Caleb, Brother Frank said how he loves Caleb. At, at the age of 85, Caleb said, I am just as strong as I was when I was 40 years old when Moses sent me out to spy out the land. Don't you want to be like that? You know, uh, Joshua and Caleb, the only two survivors of that wilderness crossing, uh, not only did they survive, but they thrived. They, they, they grew in strength and they grew in faith. And, and uh, I tell you what, there are just some 85-year-olds you don't want to mess with. Do you know that? There are some 85-year-olds you don't want to mess with. Her name is Taylor, and she lives in Anchorage, Alaska. Her husband is a little young. He's 82, right? So they're out giving their two golden retrievers some fresh air uh, in the Alaskan air, Right? And they're out there with their dogs. She's waiting in the truck. He's rounding up the, the, the dogs. And out of nowhere comes this, this massive moose. It's just so funny. It was co- coincidental. I was, I was just having lunch with my wife yesterday. And we had TV on. And, and there was a, this Discovery Channel. It was all about moose attacks. It's, it's, did you see that? I mean, you know, these are fearsome animals. And all of a sudden, this moose comes and attacks George, knocks George to the ground, and begins stomping George into the snow, right? So, so Taylor, 85 years old, she gets out of the truck, she pulls out of the truck a shovel that was in the back of the truck, and she begins whacking the moose while her husband is down on the ground. And she whacks him and she whacks him, right? 
And the, the moose just backed up a little bit. And then I quote, she, she, I quote her. She says this. She says, then I hit him with all I had. And he started to back off even more. And then the dogs gave chase. And I tell you what, there were just some 85-year-olds you don't want to mess with, especially if they're, they happen to be, you know, from Alaska. You remember what Sarah Palin said? The only difference between a pit bull and a hockey mom is the lipstick. Remember that? That was a great line. But Joshua and Caleb, you know, what, what great, you know, examples of faith and strength and, and courage and, and all, of the, all of the things that were going on here in uh, the book of Joshua uh, are examples for us uh, that we can glean from and that we could uh, uh, just learn how to, to navigate through the, the walk of faith for the just shall live by faith. Joshua 23, verse 14. I, I said this last week at the conclusion of our message. I said, oh, let's just kind of fast forward to the end of his story, right? So he's now 110 years old. 25 years later, after having made the conquest of the land, this is what Joshua said. Now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So the great book of Joshua is a book that reveals a God who keeps his promises and a God who also keeps his word. And when there are words of warning, we're to also keep them and treasure them in our hearts as well. God promised Joshua these specific promises that I've already mentioned, but he also made those promises to the nation and to the people of God that were in covenant with God. But I, I tell you what, he also makes those promises to us. They have reverberated and echoed in the New Testament. You know, words like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be, a, be strong and of good courage. In this world, you will have difficulty, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That we are more than conquerors through him and Christ. Those words have been, have been reverberating and echoing in the New Testament, and they're words of promise that have been spoken to us. The great distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament, remember there's only one book, one spirit, and they're all in agreement, but the great distinction is that we have a better covenant now based upon better promises. Everything about the new is better. It's he has taken away the old to establish the new so that we have better promises. We have a better mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a, a better priesthood, no longer the Levitical priesthood, but now all of God's people are, have been made kings and priests unto our God. Uh, we have a better temple, the body of Christ, where, where the Spirit of God dwells and meets with us. And so everything about... so then. So the question is, well then, then why are we looking at these Old Testament stories, uh, storybook, you know, uh, if the new is so much better? Because, and I'll just remind you of this scripture, Romans 15, 4, that everything that was written in the past, the Old Testament scriptures, was written to teach us, to instruct us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I said last week, and I'll say it again, that hope is such an important component in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped 
for. And God wants you and I to be rich in hope and strong in hope so that we can abound and walk by faith and not by sight. I believe that the key to the book of Joshua and understanding the book of Joshua, but not only the book of Joshua, but it's also punctuated throughout the entirety of the word of God is this phrase that we find especially mentioned in the New Testament and it's called the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And I want to stress that it's not blind, slavish obedience of legalism. It is the obedience that, that comes from faith. It's not the will of man. It's not willpower. It's not I'm going to do it. I'm going to. No, it is an ob- obedience. It's obeying that, that finds its roots in the word of God and in the promises of God and faith. Last week, we observed Joshua was being prepared for leadership uh, way back in the book of Exodus where the Lord says to Moses, instruct Joshua to take fighting men and go and battle against Amalek. And, and Moses says, I will go upon the hill with the rod of God and my hands raised up. And what the Lord was teaching Joshua in that moment was that it's not going to be by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God that the victories are going to be won. And that's true for us as well. That the, that the race is not to the swift and the, and the battle is not to the strong, but it's the Lord who determines the outcome, okay? And uh, one of the things that the, the Lord gave to, to uh, Joshua, the instruction was to rehearse it in the hearing of Joshua, to write these things and put it in a book. That is, the battle was, was to be forged in his understanding that the battle was not to be won by, by mere strength, but by, but by the weakness and the foolishness of a man with his arms raised up in intercession and prayer to God. That's what it was a picture of. And you know what? There are so many examples in Scripture. I mean, you know, what power could the jawbone of a donkey have? And yet, in the hand of a man anointed by God, he slew a thousand Philistines. What, what, what use is there of five smooth stones against such a, a, a magnificent giant? And yet, God used the foolishness of, of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. It is an obedience of faith that blessed Joshua in his life. And church, it's the same thing for us. The obedience that, is, that comes from faith in following the Lord will be a blessing in our life. Now, the Bible says that if God were foolish, then the foolishness of God would be wiser than the wisdom of men. If God were weak, and he's not, but if God were weak, then the weakness of God would be stronger than all of the combined strength of all men. And so to, to show that this was God's pattern throughout the word of God, one of the greatest examples of, of God taking foolish things, weak things, base things, and using it for his glory so that it would clearly be seen that the miracle when, when the miracle takes place, it's, it was clearly God and not man. One of the greatest examples of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to this. For the message of the cross, and there's nothing more foolish than the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who don't understand, to those whose eyes haven't been opened, to those whose hearts God has not touched, the cross is meaningless. It is, it is ridiculous. It's foolishness. But 
to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the very power of God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That those two words, Messiah crucified, is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What we fail to see in 21st century is that in that first century, the cross was the symbol of shame. It was the symbol of, of, of scandal. Uh, today we look at the cross and we view the cross as being the, the symbol of victory for us. But in that first century, anyone who was crucified, it was a symbol of disgrace and a symbol of shame. And God chose purposely that which was a symbol of disgrace and weakness, for Christ was crucified in weakness to confound the wisdom of the wise so that salvation would be clearly seen. It's of grace, not of works, so that there would be no room for human bragging. Each test that Joshua faced, one right after the other, was a progression and he went from faith to faith and from strength to strength and from glory to glory, just as, as we are to grow from faith, from faith, faith to faith and from strength to strength. And, and, and the test kept getting more and more severe so that the mercy of God and the love of God and the goodness of God may be clearly seen. Now, one of the first obstacles that had to be overcome was to cross over the Jordan River especially at this time of the year when the water was at its highest level, crossing the Jordan River was, all, for all intent purposes, it was impossible. I mean, you, if you reasoned it out, there's no way that we could forge across, across this river, not with all the women and children and livestock. There's no way we can get across this. I mean, even if we took the time to go around it, I mean, it would be impossible or if we would build rafts or, or, or somehow even build a bridge, that would be impossible. But with men, that things are impossible, but God, all things are possible. God had something much better. And so God gives Joshua the plan to take the ark of God and that as the priests are carrying the ark of God upon their shoulders, that as soon as their feet touches the water, the waters will begin to part. As I was with Moses, now God is fulfilling his promise. Remember what he said, as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. That is, in signs and in wonders and miracles. And as soon as the priest began to touch the rim of the water, the waters began to part, and they walked on dry ground. And, the, and this was a test of faith. And, and Joshua successfully comes through that. But one of the great things about this miracle of, of parting now the, the Jordan River was that God was rolling away the reproach that was upon the children of Israel for 40 years that they had perished in the wilderness. They were leaving behind them. They were walking away from the failure of their fathers. This is a new generation. This is a unique generation. In those 40 years, there were many sons and daughters that were being born in the, in the camp of Israel. And these kids that grew up, 
these young men that now were going to enter into the land and possess the land, these were kids that grew up under the miraculous. They grew up under seeing a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day that protected them. They, they were the ones that drank out of the water that came out of, the, out of a rock. They were the ones that ate bread that fell down from heaven. And they lived in the miraculous. What a unique generation this was. And they were to go in now and to possess. This is no small, this is no small miracle. And so the, the parting of that Red Sea is the rolling away of the reproach of all the, the failure of their fathers disbelieving God and God being angry with them for all those years. And so now Joshua faces a new test of obedience. We pick up in the story in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how that the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until he, we had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Imagine that. News spread without Twitter, without a Blackberry, without, without the Internet, without Facebook. Somehow or another, the news spread throughout the nation's of those cities, and the people found out, and then their hearts melted with wax. Now, now, now this is the first test. Am I going to wait on God? Am I, am I going to get instructions from God? The natural inclination would, would be for a warrior, for a leader, for a captain, a general, would be strike while the iron is hot. You may ever hear that phrase? In other words, take the, 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 there's an opportunity now. We've got momentum, and the people are filled with fear. Now's the time for us to attack those cities. But instead, God has a test for him. As for you and I, beloved, there will be many tests that God wants us to be approved of and that we would learn how to trust in him and not lean to our own understanding. In verse 2, it says this, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. Simple, that third verse is a simple act of obedience. God said, and therefore Joshua did as God had said. Now apparently in those 40 years, they had not been circumcised. And they had not been circumcised, which was the sign of the covenant, because they were not worthy, because they were out of fellowship with God. But now that fellowship has been restored. And even though God did not withdraw his his mercy or his goodness or his kindness from them, he did kind of hold back on his smiling favor because of their unbelief. But now that has been restored and the past is the past and looking forward to the future, he now, he now gives them what, what is once again the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Guys, listen. What general in their mind, having crossed into enemy territory, would now make his soldiers so vulnerable for at least a week before they healed up? I mean, this is, this is a test of faith and of courage once again. Am I going to believe God? Am I going to obey God? You know, sometimes when God asks us to do things, it doesn't make any sense. It may even seem foolish for us. But God blesses obedience. Beloved, God blesses obedience. And God speaks, we must obey. Remember what Mary said, you know, to Jesus in the first miracle, John chapter 2. She says, they have no wine. He says, woman, 
He says, he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. And then she says, just like, like, like a mother would kind of just kind of ignore her son, you know, she, she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do. I, I just love it. And, and the Bible says, John says that there were six jars empty that were used in the ceremony of the Jews. And Jesus gives instruction to the servants and he says, fill them up with water. They, they contain 30 gallons of liquid each. Now, I was thinking about that. 180 gallons, these guys are going back and forth. They're slushing the water around and, and into these, these, these pots. It must have taken some time. And then, you know the story, Jesus said, draw out some now and give it to the master of ceremonies. And the master of ceremony tastes the wine and he says, he says this, is, this, is, this is unbelievable. This is, this, you've saved the best wine for last. The best tasting wine has been saved for last. You know, absolutely, utterly amazing. Explicit obedience brings blessing. You know, those servants, they must have, they didn't say anything, but, and maybe that's the important thing, is that when we are challenged, don't say, don't say the wrong thing. Maybe sometimes don't say anything. Just simply obey. They must have thought to themselves, this is ridiculous. We're, we're going to be embarrassed. This is water. What, you know, what, what, what does he have in mind? But just to obey is better, the Bible says, than sacrifice. Explicit obedience. And those servants became a part of a miracle that I'm sure they never forgot. And God says us to do certain things. And it may not make sense, but when we do so, there's blessing. Look at Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see that I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot have room enough for it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake and all nations will call you blessed. That simple act of obedience brings blessing upon the people of God. How foolish looking was David's weapon, a, a boy's slingshot and five smooth stones. And yet look at what it accomplished. Uh, Jesus all we could find is a few barley loaves and a few small fishes. But what's that among so many? Jesus gives the order, let the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And they follow his instruction. And the miracle takes place. Beloved, I, I, I believe thoroughly that the more we are willing to walk in the faith of obedience, because our faith will be challenged, we will also see the blessings of God. On the eve now of the battle, the great battle of Jericho. You, you know, I, I put in a, a Google search uh, for the words from that song. You remember that song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? Did you know that Elvis Presley sang that song? That's a, just a little, little trivia information for you. Joshua, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. But on the eve of that battle, right, I can imagine what was going through Joshua's mind. They had no, 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 no technological weapons. They, they, they had no battering rams. They had no catapults. How in the world were they ever going to be able to successfully breach the wall of Jericho when the walls of Jericho were not only massive, but they were, 
They were so thick that, they, that it's been said that they, they rode horses and chariots on top of its wall. Houses were built on top of the wall. That's how big it was. And how in the world are they going to come up with a strategy like this? So we pick up in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, right, he's outside the city, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went out and asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, now, now get this strange kind of sight that's, that's taking place there. Here's a man with a drawn sword. A drawn sword is a message. Um, if a police officer in uniform walked into the building this morning, I would suspect that that police officer would have a, a, a gun in its holster. And, and that's what you would expect. But if the same police officer walked into the sanctuary with the gun drawn, that's a, holy, that's a completely different scenario. That's, that something's going on. And so for this stranger to have this drawn sword, there's, a, there's something that's going on here. And Joshua confronts him. He doesn't, he doesn't recognize him. And so he says, are you for us or are you against us? And, and, and this is, once again, a test of Joshua's courage because the Lord said to him, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And Joshua, again, is being tested. And so he's, he's coming to have a, a face-off with this guy. We're not talking about a cookout. You know, we're talking about, you know, with that drawn sword, you know. And I love the response. It's kind of mysterious, but verse 14 says, and he said, that is the stranger, said, no, but I, I have come as the captain of the armies of the Lord. I've come as the captain of the Lord of hosts, uh, the army that God has that are angels, that are angelic. Notice what it says then. Then Joshua falling down, with his face to the earth in worship, said, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your shoes from your feet, for the place where you are is holy. And notice those just four words at the end of that sentence. And Joshua did so. In simple obedience, Joshua slipped off his sandals and began to worship. As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. Moses had the experience of a burning bush and God speaking from that burning bush. Here, Joshua has the experience of God coming himself. Who, who is this person? It is one of the many pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus, of Christ from the scriptures. To Abraham, God appeared as a traveler with two angels to Gideon and to uh, Manoah, the father of, uh, of, of Samson, the Lord appeared as the angel of the Lord. To, to Haggai, the Lord appeared as a messenger of the covenant. And God made those appearances in the Old Testament. I love what A.W. Pink, as a theologian, he wrote this. He said, it is most blessed to observe how many and varied ways 
the Lord Jesus took to display his personal love for his people by vision and by open revelation, by type and by tangible similitude in the early days of the world until the time that he became incarnate and lived among us. They were all designed to prepare the minds of his people for his becoming the Son of Man and furnishing the supreme proof of his love for them in the New Testament times. He graciously adopted such methods to indicate how much he longed to fulfill, or he longed rather the fullness of time when he would put away their sins and bring in everlasting righteousness on their behalf. He longed for the time that he would put away their sins and bring in everlasting righteousness. Didn't Jesus himself say, how long have I desired to eat this Passover with you? And in so many other scriptures, that comes out, the, the longing of Jesus to be among us, to become one of us so that he might rescue us from the weight of sin and death. Yeah, Moses got a bush, but Joshua got a man. And what a man he was. If this was just an angel, he would, have, he would have rebuked Joshua and he would not have received worship at Joshua's hands. But because this confirms the, the divine identity of who this is, this is none other than a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And I love that obedience, and Joshua did so. He worshiped. And out of that worship, something wonderful began to happen. Alec McTeer is another theologian, and I love what he had to say, and I'll quote it for you. It says, It seems to be that by the means of the angel of the Lord, God can come alongside of people safely. By this means, in the Old Testament, God would come alongside of his covenant people safely. The angel is revealed as a merciful accommodation whereby the holy God can be present among sinful people when were he to go among them as himself, his presence would consume them. How could God be among us? Emmanuel, God with us, unless God would first become God as one of us and God for us. And all this really points to that one awesome and incredible miracle of the incarnation, that God would be born and become a human being. There's nothing, there's nothing I can compare this to. There's nothing in the, in the physical universe to compare the awesome miracle of the incarnation. You know, we try, we, we scratch it. Preachers, we, we, we try to come up with something that would try to help us appreciate it, but still nothing really does it. I mean, you know, I don't know, anybody have a dog this morning? Miley, right? Maria got my. If, if, if you had the option, if, if pit bulls were ready to devour Miley, would you, would you take the risk of becoming a, a dog in order to save Miley? Not me, man. You know, forget about it. You know? But, but, but even, even if you could, the, 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 the allegory falls short because we're comparing creature to creature, but not. How could you compare the creator to a human being? And yet God has so demonstrated his love for us. He has so demonstrated his heart toward us that he has become one 
of us. You know, there's been uh, times in my life when I kind of feel like Joshua is stuck between a rock and a hard place, not knowing what to do. You know, feeling confused, feeling uncertain about the future, feeling like, should I do something? Should I wait? Should I, should, 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 what, what, should, what could I possibly do? And then you have those, you have those divine encounter moments. And, and it's always, it's always when th- they become moments of opportunity where you worship God, where the shoes come off and you recognize your, your human weakness and God's infinite power and strength. And I've just seen so much of the power of God released through worship that when we come and we bow our own hearts to the obedience of faith like Abraham. Abraham, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him up as a burnt offering upon the place that I will show you. And Abraham, in obedience of faith, all punctuated throughout the word of God is this whole issue of the obedience. Are you going to obey me? Are you going to love me so much? Now, Abraham, now I know that you love me and there's nothing that you will withhold from me. Touch not the child. Do him no harm. Out of barefooted worship comes the strategy to take down the city of Jericho. Um, Hebrews 11, verse 30 says, By faith we understand that the walls of Jericho fell. It was by faith. And God gives, God gives him this yet one more just incredible thing to do. And this is it. Just walk around the city once a day. Don't let any of the men in the army speak to each other. Let them be silent while the priests blow their ram's horns once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. And when the seventh time is completed, everybody, upon my word, shout with a shout. And when they did that, in a simple obedience, looking absolutely foolish, the hearts of the people in the city became increasingly obstinate as they looked at these foolish little Jewish people walking around the city. But when they shouted, the walls of Jericho fell. There are archaeology digs that have proven the walls of Jericho have fallen just as the Bible has said. Remarkable. Receiving the promise of God is an amazing thing. And I know what, there's been times in my life and there probably been times in your life where you've come when you didn't know what to do. Can I just encourage you to just take your shoes off and begin to worship him? Let me just, in conclusion, just kind of point out a couple of observations. We don't have the time to go into all the details of the lessons learned in the book of Joshua, but, but right on the heels of a great victory like this is when we need to be our most careful because the times that Joshua got into trouble was the times when he listened to the counsel of men and forgot to consult the Lord. And he received counsel from men instead of receiving that still small voice of God. 
On one occasion, they made an, an error because they entered into a treaty with the people of the land. They were not supposed to. But the, but the people came and they deceived and through flattery. Listen, the enemy wants to flatter you. The enemy wants to deceive you. And they came and they said, we come from a far distant land. We've heard about the great things that you've done. And it really kind of puffed Joshua up. So look at the bread that we have. When we left our land, it was warm right out of the oven. And it was old and moldy and, and dry. And they had old wineskins. When, when, we, when we left our land, these wineskins were new. And now they're old and repaired. And, they're, and, and, they, and they, they were broken. Their, their sandals were worn out. And their clothes were old. We've come from a distant land. And because they did not consult the Lord, but they entered into a, a covenant relationship, the Lord was not pleased. Now let me say this. Whenever we walk by sight instead of walking by faith, that's when we get ourselves in deep trouble. Receiving the promise of God is an awesome thing, but let me tell you what's even better than that, what's even greater than that, is meeting the promise giver. Meeting the promise giver is what God has in mind for us today. I want to close with this story that I came across on foxnews.com. Uh, this happened just a few weeks ago, March 29th, 2012, and, 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 and the article kind of says it like this, all's fair in love and war, right? No, hardly. Not, not anything is fair in war. There's nothing fair about a man having to leave his home and his family behind to deploy into foreign soil and then lay down his life for another, the victim of his own military. Sergeant Dennis Weschel, 29, died in Afghanistan last week after he had dashed into the path of an American armored fighting vehicle to scoop up a little girl who had darted back into the roadway to pick up some shell casings, according to Army spokesmen. Soldiers had gotten out of the vehicle to shoo the children out of the street, but after returning to their convoy, one of the little girls ran back to pick up some of those shells that were valuable currency in Afghan recycling markets. Dennis jumped from the vehicle, snatched the little girl, threw her out of harm's way, but was himself struck by the vehicle, this massive protective vehicle. The article went on to say that despite the ever-present and growing animosity of many of the Afghani people toward the U.S. military presence in their country, Dennis, along with his other fellow patriots in Afghanistan, were there to serve and to protect. Yet in that moment, Dennis didn't think about himself. He cared only for the helpless child that was about to be crushed by the weight of war. So he jumped in to save her. When I read that story, I could not help but think of Jesus. I could not help but think that Jesus did not please himself, that he did not think about himself, but that he jumped into our humanity to rescue us from being crushed by the weight of sin and death. What did it cost him? Much more than his becoming human or becoming one of us. And even now, today, he is present, the man Christ Jesus, at the right hand of the Father. But... Folks, this, this demonstrates the amazing love of God because if he did that for us, 
to jump into our humanity, to rescue us, is there any good thing that he will withhold from us? He has your best interest in mind. Therefore, you can worship him. He's always good. He's always faithful. He's always loving. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, oh God, for the, for the word of the Lord that encourages us and builds us, strengthens us, and provides us with that supernatural hope. You have, you have created the word of God that is unlike the words of men. It is alive and powerful, and it contains within it the DNA of hope. And I pray this morning that we will be infused with hope as never before. That this morning, oh God, that we will leave this place, this house of God, this morning, stronger than when we first came in. Our faith having been deepened, going from glory to glory and from faith to faith. Because of your goodness, because of your willingness to so demonstrate your love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. I just thank you this morning, Father, for this incredible love that you have for us.